Today I want to start a uh, long series, it's going to be two parts, entitled The Tale of Two, two Fears. And obviously I'm doing a takeoff on Charles Dickens there, but uh, The Tale of Two Fears. Not enough, this is part one obviously, not enough is said today about a healthy fear of God because we're so afraid that people are going to get the wrong impression. Or we're afraid that people are going to be afraid of God. Now, let me just tell you, well, before I'm done, I'm going to, I hope that you get the idea that we should be afraid of God. Not enough has been said. We, we have shrunk our God. We have put him in the microwave. And instead of a mighty God, he's mighty mouse. And we treat him and speak to him and address him like he's this miniature God. And often we're too familiar with God. Yes, he's our father. Yes, he is Abba Father. Years ago, I ought not say this, but I say a lot of things I ought not especially with three cameras staring me in the face. Years ago, I was involved in a situation, and I'm going to just leave it like that, that uh, there was a person who came to town with a quote-unquote prayer ministry, and I went one night just to see what we were thinking about it, and she started talking about crawling up in the father's lap and pulling the hair on his chest, and I almost threw up. Well, I... I I can see I lost the anointing that I didn't even have. <laughs> the other side of that coin is that too many live, too many live their lives governed by a fear that is authored by our enemy. Thus, the two tales of fear. I hope next Sunday to deal with the second part of that. I start. I, I debated of which to one to go first with, but I thought we we really need to exalt God first. And then deal with the fear of our enemy that many, many, many people in this room and watching online are gripped by a fear that comes from the enemy. Revelation fourteen seven says, and he said with a loud voice, fear God. Say that together. Now say it like you mean it. And give him glory. See, those two go together. If you fear God, you'll give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. We begin to see this God that we are told repeatedly, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw throw some scripture at you today. I'm not gonna have you turn to very much. Uh, obviously, this is recorded, and you can also, if you see something on the screen that you like, then uh, just take a picture. Isn't it nice? You don't have to sit there and scribble. Real fast, just take a picture with your phone. Boop, and then you got it. I've done that. And so I'd like for you to turn to Exodus 15. And I want to read a passage of Scripture. There there are uh, myriads of passages we could read today. This is not necessarily the best one. It's just the one that came, and I think the Holy Spirit illuminated to me. Um, years ago, we used to sing a song that came from this. And, of course, this is the song of Moses. 
Um, and uh, so uh, Exodus 15, if you would stand while we're, I'm going to read the entire, well, I'm going to read through verse 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. That'd be enough to fear God right there. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You sent out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the water's piled up. Think about that. How did the Red Sea get parted? God exhaled. The floods stood up in a heap. The, deep, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand, and I shall destroy them. But you blew your wind, and the sea covered them. These are people, by the way. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. This is the part we used to sing years ago. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Of course, that's a rhetorical question because the answer is nobody. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You have led your steadfast Love, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have ceased, the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as a stone. Don't miss that. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased, you will bring them in. And plant them on your mountain, your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of, of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. Sorry, Don. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. You may be seated. Another song we used to sing a lot of. You cannot read that passage and come away with a view of God as a small God. I've, many times before I've recommended to you a book by J.B. Phillips. I always get the title wrong, but I think it's Your God is Too Small. 
and for most of us, he is. But we need to, today is not so much teaching, although there will be some, but today I pray that, that uh, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes today. And I pray that you walk out of here with a larger vision of a larger God than you walked in here with. Not because of the volume of my voice, but by the, but by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What is the fear of the Lord? What are we talking about? In the Old Testament, the word that's used is a word that means fear, reverence. It means terror. It also means awe. Isaiah eight thirteen. it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. If your God's not big enough for you to dread, you got a God that's too small. In the New Testament, the word is very, very similar. It just means a fear that is a reverence toward God. It's a fear that sees God in his awesomeness. As a matter of fact, Second Corinthians says, Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The fear of the Lord. Now, I know there's a lot of whatabouts going on in your brain right now, so just hang on. I hope I get to your whatabouts, but I can recommend to you a book, and the title of the book is Awe. I know you can't see the subtitle. I barely can. The subtitle is Why It Matters for Everything We Think, Say, or Do. It's by Paul David Tripp. I read that book several times, actually. Uh, just a couple of uh, blurbs from the uh, comments about the book. Bart, is it Millard? Mercy me? Okay. He said, when you find yourself in awe of something, you never forget it. It changes you. Think about that. And he's, re he's referencing that in context with God, having awe of God or being in awe with God. Francis Chan said, it is an awe of God that inspires my major life decisions as well as my daily actions. It's, it's the awe and the awesomeness. Craig Groeschel of Life Church had my favorite comment. By the way, if you're if you're following along on your phone or iPad, the notes that I put out every week on your YouVersion app, Craig Groeschel's church is the one that gives you that app free of charge. As followers of Jesus, we can sometimes get too comfortable with God. It's easy to forget that part of knowing and loving God is revering him, having reverence to this mighty God. The fear of God is not, even though, and I'll get to uh, some scriptures about trembling before God, but even though we, we know that we tremble, we don't tremble afraid he's going to crush us unless we're wicked. Now, if we're wicked, you got to duck. I'll, I'll come back to that. Who is this God? Who is this God that we should fear? Who is this God that we should dread? Who is this God? Well, he spoke a word. He spoke a word and created all. Everybody say all. All that exists. He just spoke a word. What kind of God is that? He was God. Now, some of these things about God, 
don't try to process it intellectually because you'll have smoke coming out your ears. He was God before time began. The psalmist said before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. When did God start being God? Yes. <laughs> That's when. Isaiah 40, you don't necessarily need to turn. You can if you want to. I just want you to hear these words. And, of course, if you are using the notes on your phone or your iPad, there you'll see they're there. Yeah, that's the one. Listen to this. Go on up. Go on up. Hey, it sounds like somebody from the south. Go on up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. You see, you don't have to be trembling, afraid God's going to crush you because he's going to tend the flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead those who are young. And listen to this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? In other words, a hollow of your hand is from here to here. Who has measured the waters from here to here except God? And marked off the heavens with a span, who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows God counsel? Whom did God consult? Who made him understand? You know the answer to that. No one. Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? No one. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon, not, not our Lebanon necessarily, but Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. Part of having a healthy fear of God is seeing him as he is and seeing us as we are. Roddy and I just got back from a men's event in Alabama, and I spent a good bit of time with my friend William Curry from South Louisiana. And I remember one time, and you've heard me say this, but I heard one time William saying, I looked at God and I looked at me, and we were nothing alike. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Who, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him? An idol. A craftsman cast it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished. In other words, he's saying, I'll read it now. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. In other words, he can't bring an offering to God, but he can go really expensive wood that won't rot and make this idol. How many of you know your priorities show up and what it is? 
I used to get aggravated with people. They, well, I probably still do. None of you, but some people. And, you know, it, everything from church attendance, all kinds of things. And, and I, I said one day, I finally discovered that people, this is the absolute God's honest truth. People, you and me both, we will do what it is we want to do. And if we don't want to do it, we find ways to not do it. Oh, me. He said, he's too impoverished for an offering, so he gets wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is God, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Sorry, flat earthers. It's right there in the word. He sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and he spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows them away (laughs) and the tempest carries them off like stubble, to whom then will you compare me, God is speaking, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, he who brings out their host by number calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Now, if you think your way is hidden from the Lord, let me just let you know in on a secret. It's not. One of my other pastors years ago, Curtis Foreman, said, uh, you can just don't, don't worry about propping yourself up and making yourself look good to God. He already knows. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. I I said I was going to do 21. I meant 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall, shall fall exhausted. But they who wait... For the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I read that, and I I realized that was a little lengthy. But I want us to see. I want us to hear words that communicate to us the greatness of our God. The Bible talks about The psalmist talks about my flesh trembles. He said, all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Now you say, what are the wicked? Well, I'll tell you what the wicked isn't. It isn't that you made a mistake yesterday or you said something that you shouldn't have said. We're not talking about, we're talking about lifestyle here. And people who've chosen a lifestyle of wickedness. And it says, the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore... (laughs) He's a pretty smart dude. Therefore, I love your testimonies. I'll make sure you understand, God. I'm not the wicked. My flesh trembles for fear of you. 
And I am afraid of your judgments. Yeah, we should be afraid of God. Not afraid that he's going to come any minute and annihilate us. I've used this example before, and I didn't know when I was going to use it. But and it's, it's probably not the best one, but it's the best one I can think of. Um, how many of you have ever listened to Rick and Bubba? Man, y'all are missing out. Man, a lie. Rick and Bubba. They say uh, opinions of the of this show are not necessarily those of this radio station or anybody else, but it should be. <laughs> and one time, uh, Rick and Bubba were about to meet, and this is how long ago it was, President George W. Bush. They were at some, some event, and they were going to have their picture made with him and did. By the way, they've also met President Trump. He invited them to Washington, D.C. to broadcast their show from there. And he was on there. He, he was the first. Their show was the first show he appeared on after he became president in 2016. But anyway, they were in line. Rick had all these ideas about what he was going to ask or say to President Bush. He just said, man, I can't wait. I'm not going to have enough time. You know, but stand beside him for a minute, take a picture, and go. Because you got a line of people. It said as they worked up their way up, he kept thinking, okay, here's what I need to say first, and here's what I need to I make sure I, you know, get all my words in. And so he and his wife walk up on the where they're taking the pictures and stand with President Bush and Laura. And they, he said he walked up and he stood beside him, and he couldn't say a word. It, it occurred to him that he was standing next to the, the leader of the free world. And he was speechless. Not that George W. Bush is God or anything close to that. It was the office. There was a healthy fear and respect for what this man represented. And he all the things he was going to say went out the window. He got his picture made and left. I know it's a bad example, but... I want us to understand that when we get next to God, sometimes if we see God as he really is, we're not going to be sitting there blabbering a bunch of words. Blah, blah. No, we're going to be, oh, my God. No words. By the way, David, he said, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. And in the next verse, he said, by the way, I've done what is right and just. I've done what's right and just. He says he looks on the earth and the earth trembles. He touches the hills. When God touches the hills, they smoke. They don't smoke cigarettes. They just smoke. If you smoke cigarettes, that's not a condemnation. But if you do, quit. He said, well, he's thinking about me. No, I'm not. I'm not thinking about anybody. Psalm 114 says, tremble, O earth, at his presence. Are we getting a picture? We're getting a picture of a healthy, a healthy fear of this awesome God who with one flick of his finger could have thumped you out of existence. And yet, here you are, and we've said it more than once today, here you are redeemed. 
by this awesome God. In Isaiah 45, we hear these words. I know this Bible had it in here earlier. There it is. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west. There is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light, and I create darkness. I make well-being, and that would be shalom, I'm sure, and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. We ought to have that on our refrigerators. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. Have you been guilty of telling God what to do? Don't raise your hand because every one of us has. Or telling God, not we don't really tell him what he got to do, but we do tell him what he should do. Or we think that prayer is manipulating God to get him to do what we want him to do. And the God I'm describing to you today, I hope you can see that that doesn't happen. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Your work has no... Hey, God, you, I know you're doing this work in me, but something's missing. You're not doing it right. You need to go back and look at the blueprints again. You, you we do that. But God, what are you doing? I don't understand. Well, I mean, just let me let you in a little secret. It's not necessary for you to understand or for me to understand. That's so much of what God does I don't get. I just trust him. Second Chronicles tells us that he says, who is able to build him a house since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him? Solomon said, man, I built this house, but how am I going to get God to fit in, that, in this house? It's like on the Andy Griffith show. Y'all knew that was coming. And Barney's going to give Otis a driving lesson because he's bought him a car. Imagine the town drunk bought him a car. And Barney's got these little toy cars, and he's drawn some lines in the floor, and Otis comes in, and... Uh, and before Otis comes in, Andy picks up. He said, well, this is Otis right here. He's going to drive this car. Andy said, well, I don't think Otis is going to fit in that car. <laughs> and Otis comes in, and Barney says, here, we're going to have a, a driving lesson. He said, well, I already got a driver's license, Barney. He said, you're still going to have a driver's license. Here, this, you drive this car. He said, Barney, I ain't going to be able to get in that car. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Solomon felt the same way. He said, I built this temple, this house, but they can't get God in there. He's not going to fit. Who's able? Neither heaven nor earth can contain God. Yes, he had them build a temple. Yes, he had them build a holy of holies where they would go in and the presence of God would be there. Yes, all of that happened, but he wasn't contained. We talk often about three attributes of God, and there are obviously many, many, many more. But one, the first one we talk about is God is omnipotent. We often, we often define that as all powerful. It's not a bad definition. 
and it's actually a true definition. You carry it one step further, and it means he's not reliant on anything or anyone else outside of himself. God is all-powerful within himself. He doesn't draw his power from anything else. He is the source of the power that he has. Again, so I'm looking for some smoke. Okay, no smoke. Because you can't process that. But yet, we know it's true. God is all-powerful. We have seen God move. Everybody in this room has seen God move in situations where no one else could have. I wish I could remember. I was with somebody recently. I think I was playing golf. I've only played five times, so I could limit that down. But they had a young man in the hospital who was in a coma, and they were expecting to, to die, and they you know, just they pulled the life support and thought this is going to be it. And uh, they said to pull the thing, and after a few minutes, he woke up and grabbed a basketball. Why they were handing him a basketball, I don't know. But he grabbed a basketball, and God had healed him. Only a God who has power within himself can do that. By the way, my wife went to the doctor the other day, and she's been released from the doctor with her shoulder that she was supposed to have surgery on. Only God who has a power, innate power, within himself can do that. We, we say God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. The sum total of all knowledge about everything, that's what God has. You think you pray to God and you're telling him something that he didn't know beforehand, but I got news for you. He knew it before you knew it. So God said, "Where Adam and Eve sinned and they're running around hiding in the, in the Garden of Eden. And he said, where, where are you? And we think... He did that because he wanted to know where they were, but he did not. He wanted, he said that so they would know where they were apart from his presence, omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. There is false doctrine, false theology out there. Some have pantheism, others, some teachings who say that God had uh, became the universe And there's another teaching, which is pantheism, that teaches that God is part God and part universe. He's, he's sort of together. He's got, he's got a dual. But he's, dis, I'll tell you this, he is distinct. Everybody say distinct from the universe. But inhabits the entirety of the universe. The psalmist said, where, where could I go to hide from you? Where can I go? Can I go down to the grave? Can I? No, you, you can't go anywhere because God is everywhere. We say, we come to church on Sunday morning. We say, Lord, we invite you to be in our midst. Uh, uh, he, he's here. He's here. Now, we can say we invite you to manifest your presence. We want that. But he's here when you walked in the door. 
He was here when you weren't here. When you go home today, he'll be there too. It reminds me of the story on the golf course and, and uh, there was some of us pastors were playing golf and put a metro policeman with us to play with us, a fourth. You golfers know what that looks like. He got him a cooler full of beer, which is fine. We didn't care. And we played, you know, nine holes of golf, and he's popping them back in foul, foul, filth, foul, filth, foul, 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 you know. We just, you know, we didn't say anything. We just went on and played golf, and we made the turn, got on hole number 10. He said, by the way, what do you guys do for a living? I, I didn't know then what Brother Charles does. I should have done that. Uh, Brother Charles tells people he's a motivational speaker. <laughs> but we told him what we did for a living, and boy, his, he turned red as a beet. He, oh, my God. Oh, my. Oh, he, he said, oh, I said, oh, and that hole back there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and one of the other brothers, he had the best line. He said, uh, well, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. Whatever God did not hear, I won't tell him. <laughs> He's everywhere. Somehow, when I was putting this together, I was reminded of these words from Chris Tomlin, the splendor of a king clothed in majesty. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide and trembles. Darkness trembles. At his voice, age to age, he's still standing. Time is in his hands, beginning in the end. The Godhead, three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion, and the Lamb. The name above all names, worthy of our praise. My heart will sing, how great is our God. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see, how great is our God. Because of the fear of the Lord, Abraham trusted God. He said, I know that Jesus, when he was about to lower the knife on Isaac and the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son. It was the fear of God, the awesomeness of God, that caused Abraham to raise that knife. And he was so intense on raising the knife and lowering it on his son that the angel had to speak to him twice. We keep his statutes and his commandments because that this Deuteronomy says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all your life. Because we fear God, we obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And of course, the flip of that is true if you don't keep if you don't obey jesus you don't really love him you can say you do but your actions say otherwise we're equitable with the treatment of other people nehemiah said this about his position he said the former governors the ones that were here before me 
laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so. Why? Because I feared God. If you fear God, you will treat God's children a certain way. And by the way, everybody breathing in that sense is God's children. You'll resist the the wrongdoing of other people. Leviticus said, you shall not wrong one one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. You treat people in the same manner in which you desire to be treated because of the fear of God. Rabbi Hillel, which was a contemporary of Jesus, I believe, was asked to how by a prospective convert to teach him the whole law while standing on one leg. So I don't know if he stood on one leg, but Rabbi Hillel said this, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest of it is just commentary. And Jesus said that. All the law hangs on that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, we know that the, the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom is born out of the fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the knowledge. Proverbs 9.10 says the fear, the beginning of wisdom both come from our fear, our awesomeness, our awe of God himself, our reverence. Later on, Proverbs said, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord causes us to be in alignment with the Lord. Proverbs said the fear of the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. So if you fear God, you will hate evil. Our brother Charles Simpson preached a message about 35, 40 years ago that said, if God is angry and you're not, that's a sin. And I thought of that in the context, Teresa, of the pro-life and the, the abortion issue. That we know that makes God angry. Fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. It also helps us complete holiness since we have these promises. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We need more holiness in the church today. How about living longer? Proverbs 10, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Another encouragement for us saints to make sure we're not the wicked. I can tell you that if you've been born again by the Spirit of God and you have the DNA of God in the fabric of your being, that you are not the wicked. Multiplication of the church. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I don't want it to sound like I'm making excuses for the fact that we're a smaller church because I'm not. 
you've heard me say I have no issue with mega churches or larger churches. The only issue I have is if God wanted me to pastor one. So I don't want, I don't want that. But how many of you know you can you can uh, develop a certain number of attendees without actually growing? The, oh, goodness. It's the fear of the Lord that causes multiplication in the church. Not slick programs. Not slick uh, advertising campaigns. Not putting smoke machines on the altar so young people will come. I think less of a young person who would come just because we got a smoke machine. Finally, we see the fear of the Lord resting on the Messiah. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its shoots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord... Watch this. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Messiah, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You say, Jesus walked in fear? Absolutely he did. He wasn't, a, he wasn't trembling and cowering in fear, but his, he had a healthy fear of the Father. He said, whatever he says, that's what I do. Whatever I hear him say, that's what I say. Wherever he tells me to go, that's where I go. Now, this is part of the Godhead. This is Jesus who's still God while he's the son of man. But yet he's, he has this awe of his father. Now, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to, we're going to sing a song. I started singing it myself, and I told Don I thought it would be too big of a distraction. But I, I want to read you this song first because you know how many, sometimes you sing songs and you don't really see the words? Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds that your hands have made. You know, that's enough right there to, to, to have an awe of God. I see the stars, and then I hear the rolling thunder, and your power throughout the universe is displayed. When I go through the woods and the forest glades, I wander, and I hear the birds singing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from the lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze, and when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. Let us never get to the place that the cross is commonplace to us, that it doesn't move us. That on the cross, my burden, gladly bearing, he bled and died and to take away my sin. And when Christ shall come, with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy is going to fill my heart? Then I will bow, bow before this God that we fear, this God that we, we uh, have awe for this awesome. I shall bow in humble adoration, and then I'm going to proclaim my God 
how great thou art. And of course, the chorus then sings my soul. I hope you leave here today with that image of God. So, to, to finish up, stand with me. And then I'm going to invite the worship team to lead us in this song. And I want you to really, really think about the words as you sing them today. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the words 